great opportunity to once again open the Word of God together and to just spend our time in worship of Him, in honor of Him, think about all that God has for us. Once again, as we start, I just want to take a moment and dedicate our time to the Lord. Would you bow in a word of prayer again with me? Father, we thank you for today, that we can be here once again and that we can study your word together. Lord, we understand we are nothing without you, nothing without your word. And so move upon us this day, transform us into the likeness of your son as we walk in obedience to you by faith in what you have told us as your children. We'll give you all the praise for all eternity. In the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. We'll take your Bibles with me this morning and turn in them to the Gospel of Luke. We are studying the Gospel of Luke. We started that some months ago, and we find ourselves this morning picking up where we left off last Lord's Day in chapter 8 as Jesus is continuing to to have this curious following of people go wherever He goes. As we encounter what is taking place here in Luke chapter 8, in the ministry of Jesus Christ, we are reminded regularly as we have been studying through Luke of the rejection of Christ that takes place where every, everywhere He goes. No matter where Jesus is going, from village to village and town to town, even as it says in the first few verses of chapter 8, Jesus is being rejected wherever He goes. It was subtle from the crowds, not as overt and blatant from them, but it was blatant from the religious elite. In fact, in Mark's Gospel, in the parallel passage that uh, is parallel to the passage we'll be in this morning in Luke chapter 8, it is recorded that even those who were acquainted with Him, so even family members, those who knew Him, as we understand, even from the town in which He grew up, were calling Him crazy. They had seen His miracles. They had heard what He had said. They had heard His teaching. And their conclusion was that He was simply a madman. But their rejection of Him was was not necessarily overt, it was subtle like the crowd. It was couched in their own human reasonings. In other words, what Jesus was doing and what He was saying didn't match their own logic. It didn't match how they thought things ought to go in life. It didn't match how they believed God was accomplishing whatever it was they thought God was accomplishing. And so because of that, they rejected Jesus's clear message. The religious leaders, however, were much more blatant in their rejection. In the other Gospels, they, they outwardly say that he has a demon, that he's demon-possessed. Not that he's just simply crazy, but that he's actually demon-possessed. And they too recognized he was doing miracles. They saw what he was doing. They too heard his teaching. And it wasn't their human logic that was confronted as much as it was their own position and their religious system that Jesus was confronting. In their minds, they didn't need a Savior. In their minds, they were okay. Their lives were eternally secure because of how they lived. So the message and work of Jesus Christ, at least for them, it was just a ruse of Satan's deception. It was just part of what Satan was doing in trying to deceive people. Here was one who was a minister of Satan himself, and so what Jesus was doing and what he preached, they too rejected wanted nothing to do with it. For those groups, there was no conviction of sin. 
no desire to have forgiveness because they didn't believe they had sin. So there was no need for forgiveness at all. And of course, here in Luke's gospel, we saw that interaction with Jesus and the Pharisee named Simon, who didn't love Jesus at all, even didn't even consider him worthy enough to have even the normal social customs given to him when someone comes into your home. And so Jesus' conclusion to Simon was, listen, Simon, when you are forgiven little, you love little. was really a poke in the eye of Simon's own religious thoughts about himself. He believed he was okay, that all his sins were going to be fine. And yet Jesus says, listen, you didn't love me at all. And that's proof. You don't even think you need to be forgiven, or at least what you need to be forgiven is very little, when in fact you're a great sinner. And so what we engage ourselves in today is an impressive scene. And it it goes from verse 4 all the way down through verse 18. And as I was looking at this even as of this morning, we really could take it all the way down to verse 21 because of the way Jesus ends what he says in verse 21, really links it all together in one impressive scene and narrative. And the whole driving point really is stated for us in verse 18. Verse 18, Jesus says, Take care how you listen. Take care how you listen. And hence the title of this message this morning. Be careful how you listen. We could link that really with verse 21. My mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. Be careful how you listen. And so I want to begin this morning by just reading this text for us, and then we'll begin to unfold it together. Beginning in verse 4, when a large crowd was coming together, and those from the various cities were journeying to him, he spoke by way of a parable. The sower went out to sow his seed, and as he sowed, some fell beside the road, and it was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air ate it up. Other seed fell on rocky soil, and as soon as it grew up, it withered away because it has no moisture. Other seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it out. Other seed fell among the good soil and grew up and produced a crop a hundred times as great. And as he said these things, he would call out, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. His disciples began questioning him as to what this parable meant. And he said, To you it has been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God, but to the rest it is in parables, so that seeing they may not see, and hearing they may not understand. Now the parable is this, the seed is the word of God. Those beside the road are those who have heard. And then the devil comes and takes away the word from their heart so that they will not believe and be saved. Those on the rocky soil are those who, when they hear, receive the word with joy, and these have no firm root. They believe for a while and in time of temptation fall away. The seed which fell among the thorns are those, they're the ones who have heard And as they go on their way, they are choked with worries and riches and pleasures of this life and bring no fruit to maturity. But the seed in the good soil, these are the ones who have heard the word in an honest and good heart. They hold it fast and bear fruit with perseverance. Now, no one after lighting a lamp covers it over with a container or puts it under a bed but he puts it on a lampstand so that those who come in may see the light. For nothing is hidden that will not become evident, for anything secret that will not be known and come to light. So take care how you listen. For whoever has, to him more shall be given, and whoever does not have, even what he thinks he has, shall be taken away from him. 
Of course, his mother and brothers came in, and they were unable to get to him because of the crowd, and it was reported to him, your mother and your brothers are standing outside wishing to see you. But he answered and said to them, my mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. It's obvious there's a change occurring. Jesus is going from town to town, village to village. He is preaching and proclaiming the good news of salvation. He is speaking in plain terminology. It was clear that Jesus was offering the forgiveness of sin through repentance and faith in Him. That is clear from all that we have learned up to this point, even through His own messages and the messages of John the Baptist. But the people who had heard those messages, the people who had heard Him say what He said, the people who had heard John preach what He preached, they just continued to reject even though they had heard his message, even though they had gone out to see even John the Baptist, they were rejecting to believe in Jesus Christ. They were leaving it on the side. They were doing nothing with it. And Jesus, out of compassion from his own heart, as, a, as one who desires to save, as one who came to seek and to save that which is lost, is concerned for these people. He's concerned because he knew that many had not come to really hear his word. He knew that many had come only to see what was going on. They were, as I said last Lord's Day, curious tire kickers. They just came in to, to see the show, came in out of curiosity. He was the next greatest sideshow in the circus. They actually had no spiritual interest at all in knowing Jesus Christ. In fact, the more they heard, the harder their hearts became. The more the light of God's Word shined upon their heart, the harder it became to the Gospel. And so Jesus begins to speak in parables. So that those to whom God had chosen to save, they would understand. But those who reject, even though they hear it, they do not understand it. Exactly what it says in verse 10. The disciples ask about the parable. To you it has been granted to know the mysteries of the kingdom. In other words, to you it has been granted to understand. To you God has opened your eyes. God has opened your ears. You understand the truth. You understand what is going on. You understand the mystery of the kingdom of God. The mystery of salvation. You understand that. But to the rest, it's in parables. So that while they see what is being done, while they hear what is being done, they are not seeing it with understanding and they are not hearing it with understanding. So here's what Jesus says. The sower goes out to sow his seed and he sows. Some seed falls beside the road, verse 5, and it's trampled underfoot and the birds of the air eat it up. Others fell on the rocky soil, and as soon as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. Other seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it out. Another seed fell into the good soil, and it grew up, produced a crop of a hundred times as great. On the surface, on the surface, this seems pretty simple to understand. Jesus is using a very well-known picture. He's using agricultural terminology, things they would surely understand in the climate and time in which they lived. And the people certainly would have understood the earthly logic with the sowing of seed and the growing of crops. They understood that process because they did it all the time. It may even have been that they could have looked across where they were. The other Gospels tell us that Jesus was on a boat teaching this lesson because the crowds were so large. So he's on the Sea of Galilee, and they may have looked across the Sea of Galilee and even seen the fields that were 
already growing crops. They knew what Jesus was talking about. Luke doesn't give us that detail about being along the sea, but Jesus, having been rejected by the religious leaders, no doubt some of the accusations that they were leveling at his feet were being accepted by some who were following him, but the common people were curious. They still had some interest. In fact, the text says here in verse 4 that it's a great multitude or a large crowd was coming together So much so that the other gospel writers tell us that he had to get into the boat. That's why he was on the boat teaching. And so from the boat, he begins to teach. Mark chapter 4 and Matthew chapter 13 is where you find those parallel passages. And so he begins to teach in parables. The word parable is a word that simply means throwing something alongside of another thing. Throwing something alongside of another thing. That's, that's what the word parable literally means. In other words, you, you tell someone something and then you throw alongside what you said to them. You throw alongside a word picture, an illustration from life that helps them understand. That's the parable. right? Jesus is using this, this kind of language in order to... <clears throat> relay spiritual truth. So this is how Jesus is teaching. And the parable always teaches both an earthly truth and a spiritual truth. An earthly truth and a spiritual truth. And both of those deal with the human experience. And true to form, this parable has both of those. So as it unfolds, we need to understand that the main issue with this parable is not the sower, not the one who's giving the seed out. The main principle is not even the seed itself that's being sown, albeit the sower and the seed are important in the overall picture. The main issue that Jesus is driving at is the condition of the soil. The condition of the soil. In other words, be careful how you listen. That's simply to say it's only the few that will truly receive the truth. In fact, if we were going to do percentages here, 25%, at least in this parable, are the ones who actually receive the truth. Take it in. 25%, that's a small number. In fact, if you want to talk a remnant time, thinking about the time from Noah's day, even in Noah's day, there was probably, some have estimated, somewhere between 750,000 to maybe 3 million people on the earth prior to the flood, and God saved eight. Pretty small remnant. So it's only the few that will receive the truth. So we cannot forget that as we look at this. We have to remember verse 18, be careful how you listen. Whoever has to him more will be given. Whoever does not, even what he thinks he has will be taken from him. Careful how you listen. Now there are four kinds of soil. And the productiveness of the seed is not determined by the one who sows, at least in the parable here. It's not even determined by the seed that is sown, but by the condition of the soil on which it falls. Notice that there are four different conditions, four different kinds, if you will, of soil. And one command at the end. The command at the end is, he who has ears, let him hear. In other words, stop rejecting the seed. Stop rejecting the seed. He who has ears, let him hear. That that seems like an oxymoronic statement. Jesus speaking to humanity who has ears. But he's talking about understanding. Don't reject it. Take it in. There's four different conditions of the soil. There is the hard soil. There is the rocky soil or the shallow soil, as I like to call it. 
There is the thorny soil, and there is the good soil. These are the four soils. Jesus commands at the end to all of them, stop rejecting the seed. Stop rejecting what you need. So in verses 4 to 8, we have the parable itself. And then in verses 9 through 18, you have the explanation of the parable to those who are already believers. To those who already have received. And I just want to begin today with the four different places the seed falls. Four different soils. Of course, we know them. Number one, is the hard soil or the hard ground. Verse 5 says, The sower went out to sow his seed, and he sowed. Some fell beside the road that was trampled underfoot, and the birds of the air ate it up. The natural description of the nation of Israel. Israel was covered with this kind of ground. was covered with that kind of ground physically, and it was covered with that kind of ground spiritually. So in one sense, you could say this even is the picture of the world in which we live. The world is covered with certainly hard ground in all kinds of places, and in every place it is covered with spiritually hard ground. I have said to missionary friends of mine throughout the years of my ministry life that the hardest place to be a missionary is in America. Why? Because we are so prone to apathy. We know it all, we have it all, we need no one, and we certainly don't need someone coming here and telling us how we ought to live. Jesus says, the sower goes out to sow ground. This is Israel physically. It would have been either a road, as he's talking about in the physical sense, some path that crossed the open field all over Israel. These are places where you can walk. There's no barriers that would keep people out, no fences, no little white picket fences that keep the ground from people staying out of it. The boundaries for the fields were just paths. This this is the place where people would have walked. They would have transitioned from one place to another. They would have been regular travelers going through these places, and the bigger ones would have been the roads of the day. It's amazing when you go over to the old city of Jerusalem and they talk about the roads through the old city. Those roads are simply double-wide cart paths. They're not even roads like we think roads. We've got to get that out of our head. These are small, trampled-down, hard-ground paths. So the ground on them is like concrete. It's like concrete. It's packed down for months and years of the pounding of the feet of the people and very little, if any, moisture. It's uncultivated ground, never plowed, never loosened in any kind of way, filled with dust. So the seed of the farmer, as he's throwing it out, the farmer would reach in, broadcast the seed, usually just with their hand. Some of it would fall on that kind of ground, and it would just lie there. It would lie there until the birds ate it up. Seems rather simple to understand, doesn't it? Simple thing, we can get that. We even understand that, even if we're not a farmer here in America, here in our own life. We understand that. Oh, seed goes out, some falls on the ground. I mean, if you've ever planted grass in your house, at your house, and made the dirt soft, you throw the seed on top, some of it never gets in. So here it is farmers, you have seed, crude way that they had to spread those seeds, and that day they didn't have the Nice little spreaders, they just threw it out there. Some would fall in the hard places. all makes sense. It's an earthly reality. And yet Jesus, in His wisdom, because He is God in the flesh, He's speaking about the nature of the heart. Speaking about the nature of the heart. So what does He mean? Well, verse 10 through 15 clearly tell us Verse 12 gives us an understanding of this ground. He says, those 
beside the road are those who, that's people. He's talking about people. It's a, it's a natural understanding in verses five, in verse five, in verse 12, we get the spiritual understanding. It is those who have heard. So it's people, people who have heard, heard the message because the seed is the message. The word of God, verse 11 tells us. They've heard the message, they've heard the truth, but the devil comes and takes it away, takes the word from their heart, he takes the word from sitting on there so that they do not believe and are not saved. They're hard-hearted, so hard-hearted it just rolls off. And so the explanation drives the point home because as we are going to see all of these essential elements are the same in all four types of ground. Let me say that again. All of the essential elements are the same in all four types of ground. You have dirt. You have, it doesn't matter the condition of the dirt. You still have dirt. Ground, the heart, that's the makeup. You have the human nature. It's all the same. It's the same makeup. There's no difference. The only difference is the influence upon the dirt. So the soil to absorb the seed has to be receptive. It has to have a disposition of receptivity, a desire to take it in. And we know that because the soil is the illustration of the human heart. They heard it. But they didn't believe. They hear it, but they don't take it deep. They, they hear it, but it never comes to maturity. Here Jesus is talking about the hard heart. The hard heart, the one who hears the Word. Verse 11 tells us that's the Word of God, the Word of truth. They hear the Word of truth. In other words, they hear the truth of the kingdom of God. Remember, kingdom of God, Jesus is just talking about the gospel of salvation. They hear of the gospel. They hear the truth. They hear the good news of salvation. They hear about Jesus. They hear the truth concerning Him being God in the flesh. They hear the reality and truth about their own human heart, their sin, their need for salvation. But their heart is hard. It is unreceptive. So the gospel is taken away. In other words, it's rejected. It's like water on a rock. Just rolls off. Just rolls off. One writer put it this way. thought this was helpful. The hard-hearted, quote, is unresponsive, unconcerned, inattentive, indifferent, negligent, often hostile. They want nothing to do with the gospel. It just bounces off them. The devil comes and takes away the word from their heart so that they may not believe and be saved. Unquote. I think that's a good description. How many people who have sat time and time and time and time again hearing the gospel, hearing the truth, hearing what God has said about them, about their own heart, about their own life, and they walk away rejecting the gospel? Listen, beloved, the sin-sick heart can be so trampled by the sinfulness of sin that it becomes completely unmoved by the biblical truth that is presented to it. Absolutely unmoved. No repentance, no sorrow over sin, no concerns for the things of God. In fact, those who are truly sophisticated will even say, there is no God. There is no God. The continual practice of sinfulness Ungodly activities pounds the hard heart. So much so that it's never broken up. It's never softened. Proverbs 14.1 says, The fool says in his heart there is no God. 
The fool says in his heart, there is no God. Don't bother me with the truth is the mantra of a fool. Don't talk to me about those things anymore. I don't want to hear them anymore. That's the mantra of a fool. There's many like that today. You sow and you sow and you sow the seed of the truth. You bring the gospel to bear upon life. Never sinks in, never goes anywhere. Even the thought of the truth is snatched away so quickly that every time you even try to share the truth, it seems as if you have to start fresh again because they don't even remember what you talked about last time. There's nothing you can link it to because it just poured off. Sure to be the case of those outside the kingdom of God. They are hard-hearted, want nothing to do with God. But I was thinking about this as I'm thinking about this parable and Jesus is writing and here's the disciples and here's those who, some who would believe, some who have believed. And the reality is that that principle, that hard-heartedness can happen even in professing believers. You say, how so, pastor? How can that happen? Well, I believe it happens similarly when we, as professing Christians, continually refuse to heed the truth that we continually hear. We hear the truth, and we hear the truth, and we hear the truth, and yet we continually refuse to heed the truth. Think about it. Each and every time you and I open the Word of God in our own private devotional studies and we read the Word of God and we check the box and we say, hey, I've done my Bible reading today. Or we come to a Sunday school class or a Bible study or church and we hear the Word of God taught and it doesn't sink in so that we begin to practice it. We are showing the very characteristic, the same characteristic of the unbelieving, hard-hearted one who wants nothing to do with the truth. God pours it out on our heart. And just like the hard-hearted who never received the gospel, it hits our heart and it pours off. We're not anti-religious. Sometimes... We can be the most difficult to teach. You say, why? Because sin has so hardened our hearts. Because we, we play with sin in the secret corners of our life. We dabble with sin over here. We, we don't deal with it rightly. We make excuses for it based upon all kinds of things within our own life and our own little idiosyncrasies. And we say, well, I just can't or I just won't or, or, or that's too hard for me. We make all of these kinds of excuses and our heart grows harder and harder and we are unproductive and we are unresponsive when the truth speaks. Sometimes we get so close to truth and a lot of seed lands on us but it doesn't sprout. Why? Because we just love sin. We just love our sin. The fact of the matter is we just love the world. The Apostle John says, do not love the world or the things in the world. And yet we do. And so what's the result? No fruit. No fruit. Why? No life. That's what Jesus is saying to these people. Listen, be careful how you hear because this could be your heart. This is your heart. Some seed falls and you it, it's there, but it, but it never gets in. Your heart is so hard it never gets in. Some seed falls on that ground. And Jesus moves to a second one. Verse 6, other seed fell on the Rocky soil, or the shallow ground, as I like to call it. It's the rocky soil. As soon as it grew up, it withers away. Why? It has no moisture. It has no moisture. It's the rocky place. Jesus isn't describing a place that's filled with small rocks. That's not what he's describing. 
because any good farmer, any good person who is digging out and going to plant seed would remove all the small rocks. A good farmer takes the time to at least remove those kinds of things. All of us here in New Hampshire know that because this is the place that produces rocks. What Jesus is describing here is not that, not not a little patch of land where, where all the the small rocks are still in the dirt. He's not describing that. What he's talking about is dirt being just on the bedrock, the slab, just a few inches beneath the dirt, the rock that's under the topsoil. It's unseen hardness. From the surface, the condition seems good. From the surface, things look okay. The seed falls on that soil, and and hey, what do you know? It comes up quickly. Look, there's life there. But because it has no roots that run deep, it doesn't last. The roots only go down beneath the dirt top. It can't go any further. And so the plant comes up quickly because the roots can't go any farther. withers away, has no moisture. Mark's gospel, in the parallel passage in Mark chapter 4, Mark's gospel says that after the sun comes out, after the heat comes out, it's those plants that are first to die. Why? Because they have no roots that go deep, and because they have no moisture, there's nothing to feed them, so when the sun comes out, it just burns them to death. Nothing can sustain them. They have Nothing deep down. Everything is surface. And so it too is unproductive. It grows quickly, shows what appears to be life, but there's no life. There's no fruit. It's unproductive altogether. Well, what kind of heart is that representing? Well, verse 13 tells us those on the rocky soil are those who, when they hear, they receive the word with joy. There's this quick reception. There's this exuberant life that comes out with joy in their life. Right? They're all excited about it. Oh, the gospel, the gospel, the gospel. This is great. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. These have no firm root. They believe for a while. Don't take that word believe there to mean salvation belief. Take it to mean intellectual, uh, uh, an external kind of belief that, that, that might look good for a moment, but it doesn't last. And time of temptation, fall away. There's the no moisture equality. Temptation, the things of the world, the the heat of the sun. Lots of excitement, no depth. Quick, positive response to the gospel. A lot of enthusiasm, maybe a lot of tears. No rooted depth to remain. A lot of euphoria, a lot of quick response. But as verse 13 says, it's only temporary. Only temporary. Our day is full of that kind of heart. The gospel is far too often presented, sadly, even as a promise of ease and superficial joy. Oh, come to Jesus. He'll fix your life. Accept God. Oh, what you need, what you need for your problems is Jesus. Now, there's a truth in that statement, and yet it's so dangerously used by our evangelical church. Because if you come to Jesus and you take Jesus at His Word and you live for Jesus according to how Jesus says you are to live, I can say this with confidence that the world is going to hate you. Life may not get a whole lot easier. Our church, the evangelical church, says, oh, have some emotional experience. Have a good feeling. That's how they define Christianity. It's no depth. You've heard me use this term before. It's like, I like to call it meringue Christianity. You remember heard me say that before? You know what meringue is? Egg whites and sugar. 
whipped up into a frenzy, so there's a lot of volume, but there's nothing to it. It looks good. It even tastes good, and yet there's zero nutritional value in it. Got all the volume, but no substance. Again, in Mark's passage in Mark 4, it says, when the heart is confronted with the real cost of Christianity, when the real cost comes, when affliction and persecution come because of the Word, that's what it says, when affliction and persecution come because you say, I believe Jesus, what happens? They just drop out. They show themselves to never have been real, that their belief never was real saving belief. Why? Because lying right underneath the apparent good soil of the, is a rock-hard layer of rebellion and rejection of the things of God. The only difference between the hard soil and the rocky soil is that there's a little bit of dirt on top that looks like it's good. But the heart is still filled with rebellion and rejection of the things of God. And so just like the hard soil, the consequence is the same. No productivity, no fruit, no life. No life at all. Quick signs of possible life, but only a facade. I think, just like with the hard ground, as Christians, we need to be on guard. As true Christians, we need to be on guard against those kinds of supposed conversions within the kingdom of God. Be on guard. Why? Because like the hard soil, we too, who are true believers, can still and surely do have vestiges within our own heart of that kind of ground in our heart. I'll say it again, how often do we hear the word of truth and we quickly embrace it? We say, oh yeah, that's good. Oh man, that was a good one. Wow, I really think that's a great principle. But you know what? We truly don't understand the weight of it in our own lives and therefore we never act upon it. Here's a telltale sign that you're doing that in your own heart. When you say after somebody teaches something, you go, oh man, that's great. So-and-so needs to hear this. If that's where your heart immediately goes, you need to check it. Does the truth run deep so that it remains? Does the truth run deep so it remains? So when persecution and trials come, when life brings what God allows it to bring for His glory and our good, what happens to us? Do we, do we remain strong and continue to walk by faith in the King of glory, or do we just fade and wither because the sun beats us? You see, this is what the kingdom of God is like. Truth goes out, and few receive Jesus is driving the point home. There's hard ground. They'll hear none of it. There's rocky ground. They receive it really quickly. They don't stay. Third, thorny ground. Thorny ground. Verse 7, Other seed fell among the thorns. And the thorns grew up with it, choked it out. I want us to notice something here in verse 7 because this seed was not sown among the thorn bushes, but rather the seed, it was sown in ground that still had the roots of thorns still in it. No farmer in his right mind would rightly throw seed into thorns. The thorn bushes would have been cut down. Some work would have been done to the ground to, to, to prepare it. But the reality is, in this heart, the weeds remain. The weeds are still there remaining. And I think we can all understand that. We can understand that in an earthly sense. Because you go out into your own garden, your own flower beds or whatever, and you weed. You take the weeds out. 
And when you weed, you're careful not to pull any of the flowers out. You're preparing the ground so you can plant the garden to grow. And what happens? The next week, he's got the weeds back again. You're going, why? I just pulled them out. Well, what happens is oftentimes we pull the weed and the root stays. You can't see it. The ground looks great. The weed's still there. The weed's still there. Because below the surface, the root of the weed has been left. And so the weed and the plant of the garden grow together. The weed sucks the nutrients from the ground. The weed starves the plant. The thing that you want to grow is dying. It's robbed by the weeds that are there. The weeds grow quickly and rob it of its light, rob it of its nutrients in the ground. Jesus says that's the perfect description of those who hear the truth of the gospel and yet all the things of the world choke it out. Grows up, the thorns grow up with it, and it's choked out. The very explanation that Christ gives us in verse 14, the seeds which fell among the thorns are those who have heard, right, hard ground heard, Rocky ground heard, weedy ground hears, and they go away, they go their way, the implication really is they go their way having received the word, almost just like the rocky ground who received it, oh, they're not exuberant right out of the gate, but they've, they've, they've heard it. it, it made sense to them in a, in a logical way, so they They go away and they are convinced, at least in their own mind, that they're fine now. And yet, as they go on their way, they're choked with the worries, riches, and pleasures of this life. Notice the consequence, they bring no fruit to maturity. No fruit to maturity. That, That just simply means there's no fruit. There's no life. There's no reality to it being real. This is the worldly person. The worldly person. Right? They're consumed with the daily cares of this world. What does this world going to do for me? Wait a minute. The things of this world are more important today. Uh, I need to care for the things of this world. This world is where my mind is set. The main drive on their mind is what this world is doing. The size of their house, the, the amount of money that's in the bank, the car they are driving, whatever it is. And worst of all, worst of all, They may not be even verbally saying these kinds of things, but it's in their heart. It may not be outward that they're saying it. It's in their heart and it shows in their actions as how they live. Worries, riches, and the pleasures make it so there's no fruit. For a while they look just like the rest of the people. For a while, they look like they're in the kingdom. They attach themselves to some kind of ministry, part of a Christian ministry even. They identify with God's people, even in the church. They go to the membership class. They go to the baptism class. They may even get baptized. They may even show signs of apparent growth. But in the end, there's no fruit brought to maturity. They're uncommitted. Why? Because they're preoccupied with worldly things. Sad. They profess to know Jesus. But there's no concern for living as Christ calls them to live. The seed that sown seems to have sprouted up. It, it seems to sprout up. It seems to look good for a time. But ultimately, as time goes on, as the Life in this age and day 
carries on moment by moment, day after day in this temporal life in which we live on this earth, it becomes so consumed by the world that eventually it shows no signs of life. No maturity at all. Over time, because there's so many weeds, you can't even tell there's a seed planted there. Do an experiment for yourself. Put a little seed in the middle of a thing and plant weeds there. And over time, just don't don't cultivate the weeds. Let them be. Don't take them out. And see over time if that plant grows and shows life. The weeds will choke it out. You say, what happened? Did they lose what they once had? No, they just never had it. They never had it. I think this is the reason why Jesus says what he says in verse 18. Take care how you listen. For whoever has, to him more will be given. But whoever does not have, it doesn't mean there's, there's, there's potential where they look it. They look like it. But even what he thinks he shall has, shall be taken away from him. He thinks it's a deception. It's a deception, but he lives for the world, not for Christ. The condition of the soil is polluted all along. It's never never made alive in Christ. It's polluted all along, and the sinful pollution of the heart just killed the good seed. So just like the other two, this one also is an unsaved person. They bear no fruit. They bear no fruit. Christians are fruit bearers. John 15 is clear on that. We remain in the vine. Jesus prunes and trims so that we bear more fruit. This one has signs that appear to be life. Signs of life seem to be promising, but they bear no fruit. No fruit for Christ. They don't know Christ. For if they did know Christ, the Holy Spirit would in their life, even in the smallest sense of the term, bear fruit. So the thorny, worldly heart only appears to receive Christ. It's only an apparent receptivity. But in the end, it refuses. Why? Because the desires of the world. The the Apostle John got the message very clearly. He's one of the apostles that's there listening to Jesus. He, He understood this parable at least even after Jesus rose from the dead, because John writes in 1 John 2.15, if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. As we've already said, this is describing someone who looks good for a time. In the end, they're unsaved. They're They're not saved at all. The hard ground is not someone who's saved. The The rocky soil is not someone who's saved. The seed among the thorns is not someone who's saved. They don't truly know because neither one of those produces any kind of fruit. There's no fruit that's usable. There's no fruit that's helpful. No fruit at all. It's no maturity at all. No mature fruit, as it says in verse 14. So they're not saved. But... Like we've said before, for those who truly do know Christ, true believers, don't just push it by the side and say, well, that's for unbelievers. There's a warning here for us. There's a warning here for the believer as well. You say, how so? Well, we need to ask ourselves these questions. How much of the world has a grip on me? How much of the world has a grip on me? Maybe Maybe I'm deceiving myself about my relationship with Christ if I'm so concerned about the world and the stuff of this world. Maybe I'm only concerned about looking good on the outside, but but I really am in love with the world, not Jesus Christ. Is, Is there spiritual fruit being produced in my life? Well, we're not talking bushels of fruit, although here it's some hundred times as great in verse 8. 
But but it wasn't hundred right out of day one. It was a growth of a hundred. It it got there. In fact, the other parable in Matthew thirteen says some thirty, some sixty, some a hundredfold. So it's a progressive production. It's Jesus Christ that produces this, but it's us that are in the vine, us that are remaining there. So we have to ask that question, is there spiritual fruit being produced in my life? Do do I truly love the people of God? Do I truly desire in my heart? I profess to know Jesus Christ. Do I have a desire in my heart to serve them as Christ has served me? That's fruit. Do I sacrifice myself because Christ has sacrificed for me? Do I, do I continually draw from the vine because I know I need Him in my life each and every day? Do I draw from that because I know that it's what I'm supposed to be doing, but I really have no desire to do it? See, we need to ask ourselves those questions. We need to ask ourselves, is my heart divided, really, between two masters? Have you noticed, as we've looked at this so far, have you noticed that there have been three soils and three deterrents to the gospel? Three hearts and three ways in which those hearts have not accepted it. There's the birds, right? The birds represented Satan as the enemy of the gospel. The enemy of the gospel doesn't want anybody to hear the gospel. And the hard-hearted one, it's rejecting it. That's just because he's a tool Mark's Gospel says the sun, right? The persecutions or the difficulties, right? Here it says. So there's the sun, the heat of persecution, the heat of trials. There's, there's weeds, worldliness, the things of the world, the things that draw us and, and snatch our attention. All of these work to render the Gospel useless. All of those are working overtime to silence the gospel, to squelch the gospel, to not have the gospel be heard, to not have the gospel be received in any kind of way in which it would produce fruit. All three are constantly the enemies of the gospel. Whatever the world offers, it's opposite of the gospel. Whatever persecutions may come, they are a challenge to the desire for ease and comfort in this life. The things that God allows in our life that bring challenges to us, it challenges our heart. It shows us the sinfulness of our heart and the loves that we have here in this earth. And Satan does everything he can to thwart the gospel. All of that can make us fret, can it? All of that can make us go, well, do we have a chance at all? Well, we need not fret as believers. Why? Because Jesus Christ is the the tiller of the ground. Jesus Christ is the one that makes the ground ready. He can and he, He does do a better job at weeding outworldliness than anything else can. Jesus Christ is the one who sustains all of those whom are called so that He is glorified even though He allows persecution in our life. The Gospel is plowed under in the hearts of His chosen ones and they will bear fruit That's the final soil. That's the final soil in this parable. Guess what? You got to come back next time. Some of you are going, really? Yeah, really. Jesus says, here, he who has ears, Let him hear. He who has ears, let him hear. In other words, if you desire to understand, 
You desire to understand, then come for understanding. I've had people come to me often in my ministry life. Hey, I want to know this, Pastor. I want to know what this says. I want to know this. And I always seem to ask myself in my mind this question, are you here for understanding? Because if you're here for understanding, this is going to challenge your life. This is going to arrest your life in such a way that you're going to be at a place where you have to make a choice. Am I going to do it or am I not? So if you desire understanding, he who has ears, let him hear. If you desire understanding, then come to understand. When you hear the truth, let the truth of God open your heart to the truth. So to those who are considering the claims of Jesus Christ, to those in our midst who are here who haven't believed, and you're considering, you're hearing these, you're hearing the truth, and in hearing it, you're either saying, well, this guy's all wet, i got, I got to leave, or, or you're considering the claims of Jesus, you're considering the truth of the gospel, the, the seed has gone out, consider the soil of your heart. How kind of hard is it? Is it hard packed? Continually just rejecting God? If that's you, then my exhortation is allow God to break it up so you can receive the seed. Maybe it's a shallow heart. Maybe it's a shallow heart and, and, and you're saying, oh, this is great. Don't be so quick. Don't be so quick. Feed yourself on the Word. Feed yourself on the Word. Get that moisture. Maybe you're only superficial. Maybe you've got the weeds of the world that are choking. Allow the Word of God to weed that heart. Strip it of all of those things so that you take in the Word of God and produce fruit. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. There is a good heart, not because it's inherently good, but because God is the one who prepares it and it produces much. We'll get to that next time and finish up the rest of the passage. Let's pray together. Father, your word is so profound, so beyond us. Simple earthly understanding of these things yet spiritually profound, Lord. I know among us there are those who have rejected the gospel continuously. They want nothing to do with it. It just bounces off. Lord, I pray that you would take the jackhammer of the gospel to their hard-heartedness and open up that fissure that it would receive the truth. There are those who receive it quickly. Oh, they're happy about it. They have no real root. And so they haven't really understood it, embraced it, seen their sin for what it is. Lord, help them open their eyes to that, that it might go deep. There are those, Father, that the world just chokes it out. It's the... They want to believe it. It makes sense. You, you, you've given them some kind of human understanding. And yet the world, the worries of the world, choke it. Oh Lord, cultivate their heart to receive it with depth. Not to worry about the things of the world, things of this earth, but to just simply walk by faith in you. We know that it's you that 
prepare the soil. There is those who receive. We're grateful that you have made it such that we could be a part of that. Lord, we thank you for salvation in Christ. We thank you for the gospel, that it is life. Thank you that you have chosen us unto salvation. Lord, this morning as we go from this place, may we be that light that shines. It's not hidden. May we go and show forth exactly what we have believed, not only just in words, but in life. May you be glorified that kingdom would grow. We could rejoice in all that you are doing. So thank you for this morning. Bring us back tonight and help us to understand more of what your word teaches. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.